The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with the futures. They are surging as investors look to put last week's volatility and their substantial losses behind them. Still picking up the rear, those stocks championed by the likes of ARK Invest, Kathy Wood. We dig into their underperformance that's coming up. And China responding to the U.S. diplomatic boycott of the upcoming Winter Olympics in Beijing. And it's not just all China. Call it a dual diplomacy challenge as President Biden, he goes face to face with Russia's Vladimir Putin later today. And plus, if that wasn't enough, Elon Musk on the record calling out the Build Back Better agenda and much, much more. It is Tuesday, December the 7th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning, wherever in the world you are. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan, kicking off your Tuesday morning with U.S. stock futures. They are solidly in the green. What a morning for the Wall Street this morning. Right now, we're looking at the Dow Jones. It looks like it could pop as much as about eh, 300 points here at the open. The S&P and the Nasdaq looking like they can open up over a percent higher at the open. This follows the Dow's nearly 650 point or 1.9 percent gain just yesterday. It's best day since March 1st and a rally that erased all of Friday's losses while major averages continue their climb. Certain areas of the market, they still have a ways to go despite more than 2 percent gains yesterday. The Dow transports and the Russell 2000, they remain in that correction territory more than 10 percent from their most recent 52 week highs. Outside of the stock market, oil continuing its upwards climb. Right now, you can see right here, WTI up almost 3% this morning after a more than 4.5% gain yesterday. That was its best day since August. Natural gas also higher, this after a massive sell-off. You see right now, natural gas up just about 3.5%. It was down yesterday, right about 11% on some reports that we might have a milder winter than expected. Let's pay attention to crypto. Always got to watch the crypto markets. Right now, it's above 50,000. Right now, at about 51,300, up 4.5%. Bitcoin remaining just about as volatile as the stock market in recent days. Let's get a check on how things are shaping up overseas. Our Juliana Tattlebaum, she's standing by in our London newsroom with the early trade over in Europe. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, it is all systems go here in Europe this morning. We're seeing equity markets extend yesterday's gains. The main benchmark gained about 1.3% yesterday, breaking a two-day losing streak. And this morning, the gains continue. And they're pretty strong gains. We've got the CAC 40 over in France up more than 2%. The German index up nearly 2%. In Germany this morning, the coalition parties have officially signed their coalition agreement, paving the way to be sworn in tomorrow. Um, we've got green across the board, though. 
though. FTSE 100 up more than 1%. The Swiss market lagging behind, but still up about eight-tenths of a percent. So green across the board. As investors' concern around the Omicron variant seems to um, be easing, as well as that positive handover from Asia after the Chinese policymakers went ahead and eased policy yesterday. So all of that providing a, a support mechanism for markets. Turning to the sectors, this is what the split looks like this morning. We've got basic resources up a hefty 3.7%. That basket of stocks very, very connected to the Chinese economy. So um, re- expectedly, that sector is outperforming. Technology also booming this morning up 4%. On the downside, the more defensive parts of the market are underperforming, but still in the green. You've got real estate, food and bev, telecoms, utility, and healthcare. Frank, we'll send it back over to you. All right, Juliana, thanks a lot with that early trade over in Europe. Now to a developing story this morning out of China. China responding to U.S. plans for a diplomatic boycott of the upcoming Beijing Winter Olympics. The country's foreign ministry out with some new comments this morning. Our own Eunice Yoon, she joins us now from Beijing with the very latest. Good morning, Eunice. Good morning, Frank. Well, not surprisingly, China slammed the U.S. diplomatic boycott. The foreign ministry said today that the U.S. should stop politicizing sport. A U.S. boycott could jeopardize cooperation on other international and regional issues. And Beijing threatened countermeasures resolutely to counteract the U.S. move. Now, that is the official line. However, diplomatic sources have told me that Chinese officials have, at least in part, been feeling relieved that uh, the U.S. as well as other governments aren't sending so many officials here, mainly because COVID-19 and managing it during the Beijing Winter Olympics is seen as top priority, especially around President Xi Jinping. Uh, President Xi is expected to be in a very tightly controlled bubble, and uh, the interaction with foreign guests also going to be very tightly controlled. Uh, So, uh, even though the, the U.S. Uh, deciding that they're not going to send diplomats here is seen as a snub, um, at least symbolically, it's also seen as a potential relief for China. Though, though uh, Frank, there is obviously some sensitivity about the way it's portrayed domestically. In fact, the term Winter Olympics boycott has been completely blocked on the Chinese Internet. Wow. So one thing, Eunice, I mean, I think Olympics generally have some political aspect to them historically. So I don't think the U.S. is totally out of bounds. I don't think most people would think the U.S. is totally out of of bounds by injecting some politics into it. The question is, are other countries following the U.S.'s lead? Word is this morning that some other countries are at least considering boycotts. Well, there are some rumblings from the U.K. as well as Germany that they could also decide either to boycott or just not send some uh, ministers. The uh, New Zealanders are also uh, not going to be sending a bunch of ministers. They said that that's mainly because of COVID reasons. Um, As of right now, uh, my diplomatic sources have been saying that a lot of countries are considering sending people in, but as IOC representatives, as opposed to um, representatives of the state in that way, in some ways, helping kind of ease these um, political concerns, making things slightly easier, may- maybe also for Beijing to be able to avoid having those people shake hands with President Xi. Though there is somebody who likely will shake hands with President Xi, Frank, and that is President Putin, the Russian president, because he was invited and is so far the only one who has accepted that invitation.
Well, politics aside, I'm hoping for the athletes who train so hard that some type of resolution can be found so they can compete, live out their dreams. I mean, imagine working years and years in a political controversy or drama stops Absolutely. you from being able to compete in your sport. All right, Eunice Yoon with the very latest from Beijing. We appreciate it. Turning our attention back to the U.S. markets as the rally appears to be taking hold once again following last week's steep selling. But while the broader indexes and even some risky areas of the market, they seem to be bouncing back. Some strategists say the selling in stocks with those stretched valuations could return and look something, something like that 2000 dot com bubble burst. Take a look at the ARK Innovation ETF, kind of a recent poster child for the carnage in those smaller risky tech and other growth names. Every stock but one, how by the Kathy Wood run ETF, has fallen into bear market territory. Some of those stocks are down as much as 70 or 80 percent from their highs. Let's take a look at some of the big names here. DocuSign, 54 percent off its recent high. Robinhood, 74 percent. Teladoc, 70 percent. Let's bring in Mark Avalone, president of Potomac Wealth Advisors, with a lot more insight on all this. Mark, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good to be here. So you're overweight on growth and tech stocks. We just laid out the, the kind of the, the landscape right now. A lot of those big growthy names, the growthier names, I'm making up words, Mark. Uh, they've really been struggling a lot, especially since Omicron, when we really kind of thought those would be the stocks that would do well if the virus flared back up again. I mean, things like DocuSign, like, I mean, I've heard people like Josh Brown say, who's ever going to pick up a pen again? Um, but they have really struggled. Are you still overweight with tech and growth? Are you shifting more to mega cap tech? How are you playing the tech? Well, that's a great question. And and there's a huge difference between cash flowing proven tech. That's a core part of our economy with great management and, and in some cases, multiple lines of business and stocks that are built on hope and hype with mega outpriced valuations in an unproven business line or yet to be proven business line from a profitability standpoint. So I think you're going to continue to see this bifurcation between the two groups. Uh, Any rise in interest rates will exacerbate that and widen the gap. Uh, The lack of federal stimulus or the reduction in Fed stimulus in 2022 versus 2021 is going to put less money in people's pockets who are home and home gaming this market. So a confluence of events here are going to continue the chasm between unproven tech, which we're avoiding, and proven cash flowing tech, which has proven to be a winner. So you also uh, you have some interesting comments in your notes recently. You call the Fed chair Jerome Powerful. And you say, while everybody expected the Fed to wind down its its bond buying program, it's the way he did it and kind of the tone that he did it in is what really spooked the market. So I got to ask you, what can he say or how can he say something to give the markets confidence? And just in the current environment that we're seeing right now, do you see an interest rate hike in 2022 that would potentially, at least theoretically, hurt those growthy names? Well, he has unequivocally been the most powerful force in this market, going back to the dark days of COVID and and even before then, when he came out too tight on the markets and quickly capitulated, it was clear that he was pulling this market along with him. And I think that will continue. He will continue to give tea leaves for stock investors about where we go. And we saw that last week when, as you mentioned, he got a little tighter, he got a little hawkish. But at the end of the day, I don't see rate hikes in 2022. I know there's this group think about it uh, and they will have a taper, but there's a huge gap between a taper and a tighten, uh, tightening. We're also in a global interest rate market and there's still negative rates in Germany, near zero rates in Japan and elsewhere. So I don't think he's going to be able to raise rates as quickly as 
the market is fearing. I think net net the Fed's going to remain in accommodative, although a tightening mode. And I think that might not be so bad for stocks. It might look a little like what happened from the period of 2010 to 2016. All right, Mark Avalon, we appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for being here. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, a pair of Worldwide Exchange exclusives straight from the World Petroleum Congress down there in Houston, Texas. First up, Chevron CEO Mike Wirth on renewables, Omicron and demand concerns. And later, the CEO of Total Energies, his take on on the global energy crunch, the price of natural gas, which has rebounded today, and much, much more. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Brian Sullivan is at the World Petroleum Conference this week, sitting down with a number of energy CEOs at a time when price increases and shortages have been in focus all across the globe. Brian spoke with Chevron CEO Michael Wirth and asked him about the company's capital spending plans. We are very pleased to be joined by Chevron Chairman and CEO Mike Wirth at the World Petroleum Congress in Houston. Mike, Thank you for joining us. You bet, Brian. Okay, so you just spoke with Jim on MAD a couple of weeks ago, which is, but it's great timing to have you back because between talking to Jim, uh, by the way, beautiful outdoor shot, looking over San Francisco Bay. We don't have that here, but we'll try. Uh, you came out with your capital spending guidance for 2022. Uh, I think it was 11.6 on cash cap X, up a little bit. Some were hoping for a little more. Is fiscal discipline still the mantra for Chevron? Well, capital discipline has been our mantra as long as uh, I've been in this role. And it's really important for uh, a company in an industry that needs to deliver higher returns. And so we have been disciplined. We, we set our CapEx at the lower end of our external guide, which is 15 to $17 billion in total. That's cash and non-cash CapEx. And it's part of our uh, continued commitment to our shareholders to be disciplined in how we invest to drive higher returns and to drive lower carbon. Did you think about higher overall capital spending, or you just don't see the need to grow that way? Well, we downshifted really heavily last year as the, the world was very uncertain, as oil prices collapsed, and, uh, and as we begin, begin to bring that back up. This year, we're trending towards 12 to $13 billion in, in spending in 2021. So 15 is a 20% increase on where we're finishing this year. So it's a, it's a step up in activity from what we've seen through 
the pandemic, and we think it's appropriate given the demand growth we expect in the world and the conditions that we see. We just had the chance to speak with uh, Aramco CEO Amin Nasser, somebody who I'm sure that you know, and he sounded uh, pretty bullish for next year. They've raised official selling prices. He was talking about jet fuel demand coming online. Are you bullish on global demand in 2022, Mike? I am. I mean, we see uh, gasoline and diesel demand in much of the world back at pre-pandemic levels already, plus or minus. Depends a little bit on what part of the world you're talking. Uh, International aviation has been the the area that has lagged the most, but uh, those flights are beginning. We've got to deal with this latest variant and understand what it really means. But broadly speaking, economies have opened up, economies are growing, and, uh, and we are putting this pandemic behind us month by month, quarter by quarter. And, uh, and our outlook for, for economic growth and demand next year is, uh, is strong. Also, between your, your conversation with Jim and now, we did have this Omicron pop up. I know, listen, I, I don't know about you, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I do get to talk to someone on TV. I'm sure you've got teams of people. As a CEO that relies on demand growth and the consumer, how deeply do you get into the COVID data? I know it's not your core job, but you must have people saying, here's what we see. Sure. We have medical professionals that advise us, that engage with the World Health Organization, the CDC. Uh, So we watch this very carefully, primarily because we have employees all over the world in countries uh, that have varying degrees of healthcare systems. And so we have to look out for the for the health of our people. When you think about uh, demand for our products, that is a function of government actions more than it is of epidemiology. And it's how do governments respond well to this news and what does that mean for economic activity? And broadly speaking, while I think we see caution on the part of governments right now, uh, we also see governments that are reluctant to impose the most draconian measures that we may have seen uh, a year and a half ago uh, because the pandemic is really moving towards being endemic and something that we all understand we're going to have to deal with. California's not locking down again is, is, would be your best guess. As eighth, what, eighth biggest economy in the world by itself, seventh or eighth? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a large economy. And uh, look, vaccination rates in California are high and people are taking appropriate measures, but people are also moving around and uh, living their lives. Will there be and I'm going to ask the same question of uh, Bob Dudley. I'm sure somebody you know well from, from BP. Will there be oil in 30 years? Yes, there will be oil in 30 years. I think any, any forecast you look at that is informed by uh, really a thorough uh, assessment of uh, the situation accounts for a couple of things. One, uh, 30 years from now, there's going to be more than 9.5 billion people on the planet versus 7.5 billion people today. There will be a much larger middle class demand for energy will be much higher than it is today, and we will have a more diverse energy system, which will have more wind and solar and renewables in it, but it will have oil and gas in it still, uh, absolutely. It's a bigger world than just the Bay Area, Houston, or New York City, isn't it? It's a much bigger world. Mike Mike Worth, uh, Chairman and CEO of Chevron, thank you for uh, joining us here at the World Petroleum Congress. Good to be with you, Brian. Have a great event. And Brian Sullivan with a Worldwide Exchange exclusive. Still on deck, what investors need to watch for in today's Python Budin face-to-face, Raymond James Ed Mills. He's here to break it all the way down. Today's big number, 97.5%. The apartment occupancy rate in November, according to RealPage. It's a new record. The costs of rent for new leases are up nearly 14% since last year.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. We begin with Samsung. It is now replacing the heads of three of its major operating units and merging its mobile and business and consumer businesses into one single unit. This kind of surprise reorganization and management shakeup is the company's biggest since 2017. Shares actually up about a percent and a half in the overnight trade over in Asia. Shares of MongoDB. They are surging in the pre-market after the company posted a smaller-than-expected loss. Sales also beating estimates, $227 million versus the expected $205 million. The stock is down more than 18% over the past week. And shares of Coupa Software, they are sinking after reporting its fiscal third quarter results. Losses at the software company growing from $0.88 cents a year ago to now $1.23. The stock already down nearly 50% this year. Coupa, major supply chain software provider to a lot of Fortune 500 companies. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines, NBC's Frances Rivera. She's in New York with the various latest. Good to see you, Frances. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Good to see you. We start with Mark Short, the chief of staff to former Vice President Mike Pence. He's cooperating with the House Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. According to sources familiar with the panel's activities, Short has been subpoenaed. The House panel is working to assess what information he may be able to provide. Hawaii residents are being urged to prepare for extreme weather. The governor declared a state of emergency until December 10th after a storm swarmed the islands Monday morning. The National Weather Service issued flash flood watches for all islands and warned the heavy rainfall could develop in a catastrophic flooding. The Patriots and the Bills battled for control of the AFC East. It was so windy, quarterback Mac Jones only threw the ball three times on the night, but the run game for New England, they turned up the heat on Buffalo. Damon Harris's 64-yard run gave the Pats the lead in the first. Buffalo responded through the air, making it an 8-7 game. One last chance, though, for the Bills in the fourth, down by four. But Josh Allen's pass gets swatted down. The Pats are the AFC's top team. They win it. 14 to 10. Now to some jollier old St. Nick's in Maine, trading the sleigh for pairs of skis. Over 230 Santas took to the slopes for charity over the weekend. 
Each of the Santas stuffed at least $20 donation into the stocking before dashing through the snow. The annual event, which was canceled last year due to the pandemic, raised several thousand dollars for a local charity in Maine. I know all those Santas got their Santa caps on, but I hope under there, Frank, that they got those helmets. We all know that that is what you need out there when you're skiing, but then maybe that's Santa magic, keeping all of them safe, too. Yeah, you know, it's great seeing the Santas back, back out there. But one thing, Francis, I know you spent a lot of time up in Boston. The way you said Pats, are you still a Patriots fan even without Tom Brady? We go through this all the time. I know right? you do. I tell you, my, I, my blood runs Cowboys for my brothers. My husband is a Broncos fan, so I leave it at that. All right. I don't know. Francis, I heard like you were kind of rooting for them. I heard like the way you said Pats. Well, listen, listen. I mean, when it comes to Pats, it was fun. We both worked there. It yeah. was great over all those years. So, you know, it's, you know, no matter what it was, we have the memories with the Pats, right? I'm more of a Tom Brady fan. I'm not a Patriots I'm fan. with you. I'm with you right there. You can't <laughs> beat right. the GOAT. Cannot. All right. Still ahead, we're in Worldwide Exchange. Elon Musk, he goes on the record why he's calling out the White House and President Biden's Build Back Better agenda. Plus, new developments in former President Trump's media startup, naming a key congressional ally to lead that venture. And later, another Worldwide Exchange exclusive, this time with the CEO of Total Energies. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Brian Sullivan, Big Papa, if you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps, and Worldwide Exchange. We'll be right back. The market's momentum regaining its footing with Monday's rally set to continue today. Look at the futures. They're pointing to more gains. President Biden set to hold some high-stake talks with Russia's Vladimir Putin amid continued and mounting tensions between Washington and Moscow. And President Biden also facing the wrath of Elon Musk as the Tesla CEO says, pull the plug on the $2 trillion spending plan that could actually benefit him. It's Tuesday, December the 7th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan this morning. Here's how your stock futures are looking about halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern hour. Let's take a look. Futures all the way in the green. The Dow looks like it could pop more than 300 points at the open. The S&P and the Nasdaq both a percent higher in the futures right now. Um, both of them gainers in the pre-market. Crude also adding to yesterday's massive gains. Right now we're seeing, uh, well, let's go to Dow gainers first. They're up here. Why not just... Oil prices. We're changing our mind. It's early. We're getting our coffee going. Um, WTI crude right now up about 3%. Brent crude right now about up 2.5%. Oil popping. And a quick check on some big pops in travel stocks this morning. We're seeing those travel demand pick up again. Right now we're seeing Delta up 2%. American up 2%. Airbnb up over a percent and a half. Carnival and Norwegian cruise lines up about 3%. Showing a lot of investor confidence that we're going to all get back out there and even back on the cruises. And right now, let's take a look at the crypto markets. We have to watch those closely above that 50,000 mark. That seems to be key for crypto right now, up at about 51,300, up about four and a half percent right now. Crypto remaining volatile after that Omicron news. Now, let's get a look at some of your other top stories this morning, including former President Trump's social media company naming a new CEO. Our Bertha Coombs is back with many more details on that. Good morning again, Bertha. Good morning, Frank. Republican Congressman Devin Nunes is resigning from Congress to lead that company. Trump Media and Technology Group formally announcing Nunes' appointment.
appointment yesterday amid reports of the move. The firm says that Nunes, the top Republican on the House Intel Committee and a longtime Trump ally, will start the new position next month despite having no apparent experience working in the tech industry or as an executive. The announcement comes hours, or came rather, hours after documents revealed that the SPAC that plans to merge with Trump's company is being investigated by the SEC. This country's busiest ports have announced that they will delay imposing unprecedented fees on carriers. Officials at the Long Beach and Los Angeles facilities cite progress in the ongoing container backlog for the decision, with lingering containers down 37 percent since the fines were announced in late October. And Elon Musk is criticizing a key piece of President Biden's Build Back Better plan that could actually benefit Tesla, potentially. In an interview with The Wall Street Journal, Musk says the bill, which includes federal funding for electric vehicle charging stations, should be scrapped because it would add to the country's deficit. Under the plan, consumers would also be given a tax credit if they buy an EV built by union workers using American-made batteries. Vehicles made in non-union factories like Tesla's, would qualify for smaller credits. Musk added that he's in favor of dropping all federal subsidies, but stressed that subsidies should also be dropped then for the oil and gas industry. You know, Elon is never at a loss for provocative comments, Frank. Bertha, are you calling him Elon, not Elon? I'm not sure. I never know quite how, how does he pronounce it? I don't know what they're doing down there in Australia, Bertha. I just call him Elon. But you're, you're doing like a Madonna, like English uh, <laughs> accent type thing with it. I like it. I try to pronounce names the way people pronounce them themselves. You know, in France, you would be Franck, but you're not, right? You're Frank. Yeah. So that's gonna, how you pronounce it. Bertha, I'm just going to stay Frank. I appreciate it, though. Thanks for the headlines, as always. <laughs> All right. Turning our attention to some D.C. news. President Biden is set to hold a video call with Russian President Vladimir Putin today. The meeting comes amid tensions that have been triggered in part by an increase in Russian troops along the Ukrainian border. President Biden is expected to warn the Russian president that the U.S. will impose severe economic countermeasures if Moscow carries out an attack on Ukraine, according to a senior administration official. Let's bring in Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst at Raymond James. Ed, thanks for being here. Good to be here, Brock. <laughs> you know, Ed, just when we thought those Zoom calls were going to get boring, they're getting kind of spicy later on today. Um, maybe the biggest Zoom call of the pandemic coming up, Putin and Biden. You know, President Biden's expressed a desire to have, quote, I'm reading this as a quote, predictable, a predictable and rational relationship with Russia and, and uh, Vladimir Putin. Markets, they don't seem too concerned this morning. They're up in the green. What do you see as the best case and potential worst case of this call? So I think the best case is that Biden and Putin establish a rapport that allows that the diplomatic conversations are a release valve. Uh, worst case is that Putin um, really starts to press the Biden administration, really tries to see what he can do to further um, exacerbate issues within the NATO alliance and say that he is going to push forward with military exercises in a potential invasion uh, with the Ukraine. I think at the core here is um, a desire from Putin to establish uh, Russian supremacy within the region. He is very concerned about the Ukraine potentially joining NATO. And I think he is really trying to see what he can do uh, to get the United States to respond with a audience of China 
watching here and China looking to see whether or not the NATO alliance is holding firm and whether the United States continues to back up their support uh, for various uh, NATO allies. Right. So China's watching, but so are U.S. investors and U.S. voters. As I mentioned before, markets don't seem too concerned. Dow looking like it could pop about 300 points at the open. But I think we'll have to kind of ask, uh, what would be the potential fallout of a tense call or, or where there are reports after this call that there is tension? And also, I, I just have to ask for myself, what does President Biden have to gain by NATO, um, excuse me, by the Ukraine joining NATO or that timetable for them to join being sped up? Why not just let this go for a minute? Yeah, Frank, I think you are outlining the key issues here in terms of um, the market right now has so many other worries that uh, they're dealing with. To me, this is more of a significant risk for 2022. I have had calls from clients. I had a call late last night uh, with a head of a fund who is very concerned about this, not willing to react just yet. Uh, But this here could add to kind of other worries should we kind of be in a down market. Uh, People do not want to see a geopolitical risk. But you're right. For right now, the market is pushing this aside. What we're going to see in D.C. is the passage of a defense authorization bill. We're going to see more defense spending. Uh, Any of these issues, probably good near to medium term for defense stocks. For the larger market, what they're going to need to see before they react to that is a significant escalation. And I think part of the reason why the market is not reacting just yet, Frank, is because they see multiple steps in potential release spells. Is there a back off of uh, supporting Ukraine's admission into NATO? Is there other sanctions? Do we go after the Nord Stream pipeline uh, even more uh, with sanctions before there would be the nuclear option, which is denying uh, any payments coming out of Russia from the SWIFT financial system? That really would be Uh, what the market would get really concerned with. And we're probably at least two to three steps, if not more, away from those type of decisions. And let's hope the nuclear options off the table metaphorically or any other way when it comes to all these superpowers talking. Let's just take that out of our our vocabulary just for a second. I have to ask you, is this a zero-sum game? Is there a way for everybody to win? Is there a way for President Biden to look good? Is there a way for NATO, excuse me, Ukraine to enter uh, NATO? Is there a way for Vladimir Putin not to lose face here? Is there some way for everybody to kind of win? I'm not sure if there's a way for everyone to win. I think it's a hope is that nobody uh, fully loses. And I think it is important that, you know, I I use that term nuclear option, but all of the options on the table so far are through economic means uh, from the United States and our NATO allies. Uh, And that is a show of how much kind of the geopolitical shift has been into the economics Long term, I think what Putin would want to see is that it makes it unattainable for the Ukraine to fully join uh, NATO. That would be his goal. That is a real concern uh, for a long time uh, within the Russian government is just how close we are seeing encroachment of NATO allies onto the Russian border. Uh, So that would be a win for Putin. Um, Probably kind of the the country that gets the short stick here uh, would be once again the Ukraine. Wow. Well, I'm sure the markets and also everybody down there in D.C. will be watching very closely to see what comes out of this call. Ed Mills, we appreciate the insight. Thank you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, more from the World Petroleum Conference and Brian Sullivan's exclusive sit down with the CEO of Total about the energy crisis that's gripping Europe and what role renewables may play in solving it. 
But first, as we head to break, some more of those big money movers. We begin with shares of Intel jumping on reports it plans to publicly list shares of its Mobileye self-driving car unit. The reports add that a formal announcement on that move, which could value Mobileye above $50 billion, could come as soon as this week. The CEO of Intel is set to join Squawk on the Street exclusively today at 9 a.m. Eastern. And speaking of self-driving technology, Tesla is replacing faulty auto- autopilot cameras in some of its cars. According to internal documents, Tesla will replace cameras in the front fenders of several hundred Model S, X, and 3 vehicles. And Meta-owned Instagram unveiling new tools to keep teens safe. The features include tools to help manage time spent on the app and limit unwanted interactions and exposure to sensitive content. The move comes a day before Instagram's head testifies to Congress on its potential risk to kids and teens. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, welcome back. Brian Sullivan's at the World Petroleum Congress in Houston, speaking to energy CEOs from around the globe. He spoke with the CEO of Total Energies about the company's recent rebranding from Total. We are very pleased to be joined here at the World Petroleum Congress by Patrick Pouillon. He is the chairman and CEO of Total Energies of France. Uh, used to be just Total. Now it's Total Energies. Is it a real, is it, does it signify a real change in your business or more of a, a branding? No, no. It's, uh, you don't change the company of uh, the name of a company which is 100 years old just for branding. You know, it's fundamentally, by the way, Total Energy says everything. You know, it means all energies. So we have chosen a name. In fact, uh, we have embarked into a new strategy, uh, which is to become a broad energy company, uh, oil, gas and electricity, fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the energy markets will change. Uh, we've seen that uh, with climate change, uh, the share of uh, electricity in the mix will be much higher. This is a growing energy. Mm-hmm. While at the same time, yes, gas will continue to grow. Oil might peak one day in 2030 and then decline. So uh, we prepare the company for the future. You know, when we are in an energy, it's long-term investments. So it's important to embark and to make this transformation. Yeah. So it's, a, so it's a change of strategy, and we decided at board level to put it in the name. What can we learn right now, not France, but much of Europe is in maybe not energy crisis, but there are very real concerns about the amount of available power, utilities, energy in the U.K., Germany, Netherlands this winter. What should we learn from what Europe is going through now for your business and for the world? In fact, we, should, we are learning a lot for the world. First, that all the markets are more and more interconnected. You know, the more we have electricity in the mix, and you produce this electricity from renewables or intermittent sources, but also from gas, uh, you connect, you interconnect the energies. What happened, in fact, for this crisis? It's not a European crisis at all on gas. It's coming from China. In China, we have seen a huge hike in the demand for gas, LNG. Buying up everything, it's available. Everything. Why? Because less renewable, less hydro, a dwarfs in IF for hydro, less coal because the ban of importing coal from Australia, and so coal for gas. All the gas from the U.S., we are very well positioned. Total Energies is the number one 
in energy, uh, exporting energy from the U.S., we export more than 10% of the U.S., went to China because the price went up. Mm -hmm. And so the gas was no more available energy for Europe. So the gas price in Europe went up because the market are mm -hmm. interconnected. And then electricity, which is the price of electricity in Europe, because it's a market economy, is equal to the margi marginal cost of production, which is a gas fire power plant. So that proves that in this transition, in fact, fundamentally, uh, the energy markets are becoming more complex, more interconnected. Yep. And also there is another message behind that, which is supporting this price. We have also a lack of supply somewhere, you know, supply of oil, supply of gas. Why? Because you have a pressure on the oil and gas investments. The oil and gas investments have decreased between 2014 and this year from $700 billion per year to 300. Cut and, you know, more, it's more than more. cut in half. That's true. More than, and, it's, it's, and that has an impact because if you don't continue to invest while the demand is growing, then the price will adapt the demand to the supply. And could spike. Very quickly before we let you go, because you are into all the renewables as well. Is there a renewable that is a better economic bet is wind better than solar? Is solar better than LNG? Is there one that you would say, this is a guarantee? This is a better economic story? No, yeah, there's no guarantee. We are fundamentally in commodity business, which is market economics with volatility of the price. So there is no guarantee. What you must look when you are in a commodity business is the cost of production, to be a low-cost producer. This is the only guarantee. Today, you have people thinking that you can develop renewables with what we call PPAs, you know, a guaranteed price. But that's just the beginning of this industry. Obviously, it's electricity that you produce, like in the mm -hmm. U.S. And at the end, you will have electricity from renewables, from the gas, from coal, from LNG, and from batteries. In fact, what you need is to invest more and more in storage of electricity in order to cope with volatility. So I think for me, it's another additional energy an additional source of opportunities and revenues, and all companies, Total Energies. We are major in oil and gas. What, do, what are we? We are integrated companies along the value chain able to manage this complexity. This is why we want to integrate renewables and electricity in our mix. As it all comes under the new Total Energies, TTE is the ticker in the United States. Patrick Pouillon, Chair and CEO, we really appreciate you joining us. Merci beaucoup, Michel. Thank you. Brian with the Francais there. Again, it is Total Energy's my mistake. Our thanks to Brian Sullivan for that interview. And catch more of Brian's exclusive conversations at the World Petroleum Congress today on CNBC, including the CEOs of Pioneer Natural Resources and Baker Hughes. And tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange, Brian sits down with the CEO of Diamondback Energy. On deck, we're going to stick with energy as oil faces a continued rebound along with the broader markets. Vicki Green lays out the energy stocks that she says have room to run amid the bounce back. And if you haven't already, you might as well just go ahead and do it. Follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, miss Big Papa Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, we're coming right back. Welcome back. We're going to turn our attention back to the markets. The renewed rally in stocks holding firm with futures pointing to even more gains ahead. The Dow briefly up more than 400 points in the pre-market. Check out some of the biggest pre-market winners for the S&P. Right now, we're looking at Intel up almost 8 percent. Medtronic, a medical device maker, up about over 4 percent. 
Got to watch these cruise stocks, uh, cruise ship stocks. Hard to get that out this early. Royal Caribbean and Carnival both up more than three and a half percent, more than one percent gains across the board over in Europe as well. Our Juliana Tattlebaum kind of broke it down green everywhere we saw. Let's just call it the everything rally. Oil higher and adding to yesterday's massive gains right now. We're seeing WTI up three percent. Brent crude up more than two and a half percent. And with that table setting, let's bring in Victoria Green, founding partner and chief investment officer at G Squared Private Wealth. Victoria, good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Frank. How, can, how are you? So I know energy and oil, that's a bit of your wheelhouse. You're also down there in Texas where Brian is, where the World Petroleum Congress is. Um, I know that you went to Texas A&M. You're an Aggie. You guys have a saying down there, whoop, when something's really whoop. exciting. Are oil investors, are they saying whoop this morning with the moves in oil? And is it sustainable? Absolutely. Uh, and we do think this is sustainable. We always thought it was an oversell and a knee-jerk reaction down. You know, you saw us come about 22% off our highs with WTI was trading at 85 and then it slipped down below in the 60s. Uh, but then we've seen some stabilization as we realized the variant may not be as bad as everybody thought it may be and waiting on the data. You know, generally we think oil in the 70s, 70 to 80s is a great sweet spot for a lot of the EMPs we like. Permian Basin and, and honestly, most everywhere in Texas is very cheap to get it out of the ground. You're talking about $50 break-evens to cover the dividend. Uh, so there's a lot of companies we like, and we do think this is sustainable, and we think we'll see it uh, continue to rally through year-end. So right now we're looking at travel returning, but we're also seeing rising cases of Omicron, or Omicron. I always say it the wrong way. Um, is that a concern for you when it comes to the oil markets? We saw an, a generally an outspread, out, outbreak of Delta. Having a hard time, Vicky. you got to help me out. We saw an outbreak of Delta, but it didn't really seem to impact the markets directly. What do you think about Omicron? Well, I don't think any of us know how to pronounce it, quite frankly. I, I need to go back and learn Latin a little bit better, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Delta is a good playbook. Look, we don't have a lot of data. We always want to look back historically. And when Delta came over, you know, it was identified in late 2020. It became a variant of concern in early March. And then the summer is really when it was, was a major player around the world. But you saw markets continue to rally through the summer. S&P 500 was up about 9% from, from June to August. And so I think the markets are, are going to react to variant News, especially when it's a quiet week, you know, the Fed has nothing to say. They're in a blackout period. And we, we do like to panic. Um, but I think people need to be patient still and realize that it, it that we have a lot better tools and treatments than we did in early 2020. So a new variant and they, they should be expected. I think you're going to be fooling yourself if you don't think we're going to have another 20 or so variants. But our, our drug treatment programs are much stronger than they used to be, as well as our vaccinations. So I'm very hopeful it's not going to dent it much at all. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we saw potential international travel, but they're going more towards advanced testing and vaccine mandates versus canceling and closing down as much. So I see that as very positive signs. It won't be as much of a drag on travel and as much of a drag on energy. All right, we want to get your take on the broader markets. But first, can you give us a few names in the oil space that you see as the best position to take advantage of this current climate? Sure. Our top three picks are kind of the EMP space, which are very, very sensitive to oil prices since they're in exploration and production. Uh, we like Devon, we like Diamondback, and then we like EOG. And all of them are three very shareholder-friendly companies. Uh, a lot of them, have the Devon especially, has kind of pioneered this fixed-plus variable dividend where they're paying a strong base dividend, but up to 50% of their excess free cash flow can also be paid out at every quarter as a variable dividend, as well as they're focusing on share buybacks. So you look at these companies, you realize they're trying to push capital to shares. They're staying very capital disciplined as they're going forward. 
Look, they've been burned twice hard in the last decade. And so I think, I don't want to say that it's the death of wildcatting and all of this excess, but rig counts are still only at 467. We're still well below our pre-pandemic peak. All right, Vicki, we almost got to get out of here. I got to ask you, you are overweight U.S. value and cyclicals. Um, how does inflation pay into that, play into that thesis? I think inflation is no longer transitory as, as the Fed finally capitulated and cyclicals are a great place to be, you know, especially the energy market and materials. Uh, if we think we're going to be in a period of higher prices, let's own stocks that benefit from that. All right. There we go. Vicki Green, we appreciate it. Thanks for waking up early over there in Texas. All right. One Absolutely last look great. at the futures before we get going over to Squawk Box right now. Futures solidly in the green. Looks like it's going to be a good day on Wall Street, at least from where we're sitting right now. Dow futures up over 300 points. The S&P and the Nasdaq look like it could pop more than 1% at the opening bell. And that's going to do it for Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 